Okay. All right. So tonight we're going to be in Revelation 8 and 9. Uh, the handout was on uh, the email and Facebook, and then I just put it in the chat there if that's helpful for you. It just kind of lines out where we're going with everything. Uh, so if that, that helps you, then uh, that's there. Um, so uh, just kind of catching up, we've got this. Uh, I'm going to mute you. Uh, we've got this scroll, right, that uh, God had, and nobody could open it aside from this, this slaughtered lamb. And so we had six of the seven seals were, were opened, uh, broken, so that they could open the scroll. But we still have one left. Last week in chapter seven, we had this kind of uh, aside to look at the 144,000 and the multitude in heaven. Um, images of the church as this maybe renewed Israel and, and a global movement. And you know, one of the things we saw then and we've seen before as well with Jesus in chapter uh, five is this hear and see pattern, right? Because he heard Jesus described as a lamb, but then he looks and he sees, or sorry, he sees him, he hears him described as a lion, and he looks and sees him as a lamb. And in the same way, I think you see that in the previous chapter, uh, that the people of God uh, are not this army of thousands, it's this multi-ethnic chorus of praise. Uh, and this is how God's fulfilling the promise to bless the world through Israel. Um, and so that's, again, we're, we want to kind of piece together how these different images are working and what's trying to be communicated through them. But, you know, it's, it's always very much up to interpretation, but that's, that's the pattern that I'm seeing in this. And today, since we're covering two chapters, we're going to look at all the, the, the trumpets. Um, we're going to try and just not focus as much on the details, but look at the big picture. Um, and, and what we're going to see in these chapters is it seems like there's a lot of punishment going on, right? And so just to kind of get us started thinking about this, um, what's your reaction to being punished? Or how do you see people react in different ways to discipline and punishment, um, positive or negative? You can think in terms of with you know, children or in you know, the, the penal system. Uh, what are some ways people respond to punishment? Oh, sorry, I think Charlotte, you might, might be muted. You get it? <laughs> sorry. Re rebellion. Okay. Maybe we I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. And so we just rebel even more, right? Uh, I don't know. I think kids that either they go that way or they go the opposite that you can just say something like you hurt my feelings and that destroys them or you you spank them and then they're just like all right bring it on you know so it can go either way uh, I don't know if that's been your experience for anybody what else what a, what can happen with punishment or discipline change in behavior okay might be a change, right? Um, that's what we're hoped for, right? As that's the goal, as Anna Jane says. Um, we have, it seems like mixed results with that, uh, whether they do change. Um, and sometimes you have to keep, right? It doesn't always happen the first time that they make a mistake and you discipline them uh, that they get it. But maybe, you know, if you can be consistent, that can make a difference. There's a fear factor. I mean, how many times has there been a punishment and just, worrying about it and fearing it happening is actually worse than when it gets you you almost want let's just get it over with uh, <laughs> yeah the the, the, ang the anxiety is almost worse than the punishment itself 
<laughs> yeah, but you don't know what's coming. Uh, that's that's really uh, really tricky. Um, yeah, but yeah, the mental anguish, right? The fear can be a part of it too, because um, it doesn't always happen, right? You may do something wrong, and then you're like, okay, what's what's going to happen to me? Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of different reactions, right? It can have positive, but then sometimes it's it's negative, and people just become more stubborn. And so as we get into Revelation, we want to think about well, what's God's purpose with this punishment or discipline? Uh, what's God trying to achieve? What does God want? And does does that happen the way that God would want? Uh, do people respond the way God desires? All right, so let's get into this in chapter eight. Uh, we're going to start with kind of this opening scene with the, we actually have the seventh seal, and then uh, then we'll get into the trumpets. So I'm read eight, chapter eight, one to six. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel stood with a golden censer uh, and it stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow them. So uh, the final seal is open and then there's just this silence, this pause. Uh, and when it says half an hour, um, I think what to note there is just the fact that it's a fraction. We're gonna talk about that more in, in just a second. Uh, so it's, again, less about it being 30 actual minutes and more that it's a, a fraction of time. Uh, we see this image of incense related to prayers. I think we saw that in uh, four and five, uh, the idea that our prayers are kind of like incense or smoke that's going up and filling heaven, uh, filling the throne room. That's uh, this image, right, of, of our prayers are present in God's presence uh, as all this heavenly worship is going on. Uh, and this introduces the seven trumpets, right? It's like you have the, the seals, uh, the kind of like nesting dolls, right? So you open the seals and then uh, that leads to the trumpets and we're going to see that leads to the bowls, the uh, seven bowls. Um, trumpets are also used in, in Jewish worship, um, like the incense. So there's that connection. And then there are also trumpets were used in battle. So we're you know, picking up some of that uh, possible uh, military imagery from the last chapter as well. Uh, but we're still, right, we're not actually getting what's in the scroll yet. I think that comes in chapter 10. So it's all of this is building up to the scroll being opened. And it seems that in chapter 8, what's happening is, is more directly from God. Um, the way I understand, like, the four horsemen and those images with the seals is that these are just kind of the, the things that happen on Earth, the kind of human calamity um, that goes on. And so uh, you can, we can read this, I think, more as divine judgment or punishment, uh, even maybe a response to the martyr's question, because they asked back in chapter six, how long before uh, you do something about this? And even, you know, sees, you see the, the, the angel throws the fire from the, uh, the incense, and that's kind of what causes this. And so if the incense is the, their prayers, this is almost like the, the prayers are what is bringing on this uh, destruction, this punishment. Um, so it's like <laughs> the fire comes down as the prayers go up to uh, change that song. Um, and here we're seeing, again, with this idea of it being like nesting dolls, that they're inside the others. It's, I think it's best to see this as a retelling and an intensifying of the seven seals. 
and less of a chronological sequence. Um, you know, so in chapter six, it was one fourth of people. Now it's going to be one third of people. So it's, it's bigger. And again, it, it doesn't really even work to go chronologically because in chapter six, the stars fall from the heavens. And here in chapter eight, a third of them are darkened, right? So how could they fall and then be darkened, right? So it's just kind of retelling. It's like looking at the same thing from a different perspective. Uh, but as you go, it, it gets a little more intensified. All right, so let's, let's see some of this as uh, we get to the, the trumpets here. So this is uh, seven to 12, we get the first four trumpets. The first angel blew his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were hurled to the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light was darkened, and a third of the day was kept from shining, and likewise the night. Okay, so uh, if you know your Old Testament, right, one of the things we see consistently that uh, is happening is John is picking up echoes or images from the Old Testament. And so I think here you can see a lot of similarities with the 10 plagues from the story of uh, Exodus, right? what God did uh, to Egypt in order to get Pharaoh to let his, their people, his people go. So things like rivers turning to blood, hail, um, darkness, um, sea creatures dying. Uh, it, it all kind of seems like uh, I'm pretty sure the, the Jewish readers uh, that John's writing to, Jewish Christians, would hear a little bit of that in this. And so as you think about the Exodus story, well, what was the point of the 10 plagues? What was God trying to, to do with, with those? Showing people that he's in charge. Okay, yeah, showing his power, right? Pharaoh considered himself a god. Um, it's pretty easy to see how a lot of those plagues connect to particular Egyptian gods. And so Yahweh, the God of Israel, is showing I am more powerful than, than these gods. So there's that. What else? What, what maybe they're meant to do? What happened with those, those 10 plagues? Well, I think they were meant to change Pharaoh's mind, right? And sometimes they did, and then they didn't again. Mm -hmm. Right? He would He'd change, but then change it, change his mind about changing well, his God mind. God would harden his heart. You know, I mean, it's we kind of find yeah. out that maybe it's not mm -hmm. just Pharaoh's ideas. Going on. Yeah, and that's that's a whole other discussion that uh, we probably don't have time for now. With that, who is responsible for the hardening there? But the idea that most of the time Pharaoh's response to God doing these things is more stubbornness, right? That's what hardening the heart is, and so you see that, like we talked about earlier, that kind of negative uh, effect, or it doesn't really change anything it seems um, as time goes by it that um the plagues were also for the israelites to gain confidence that god could be over every other god and lead them wherever they needed to go yeah. which didn't work fully <laughs> they, didn't, they immediately start complaining in the wilderness so so much for that but yeah, yeah that, that i think was probably part of the idea yeah so again it, it makes sense probably though that john would pick that up 
as he's speaking to Christians under the Roman Empire of, you know, here's one of the biggest examples in scripture of how God uh, brought punishment against another oppressive empire on behalf of, of his people. So one of the things that we see through this is this idea of one third, right? You probably heard that multiple times. Uh, a third of the earth is, is burned up, a third of the stars stop shining, those sort of things. So this idea of a third is an apocalyptic symbol of something partial, um, right? It, it's less, of, again, it's, I think it's kind of physically impossible for one third of the sun to just stop shining, right? The sun doesn't really <laughs> work like that. Um, but it's, it's, so it's more, really, I think the emphasis is more God is not destroying everything. It's, it's only a third, right? So it's kind of a limiting of, of this uh, punishment. Um, so it's not everything. It's only a third of it. Um, so that's, uh, again, that's how they probably would have understood this type of literature in their time. It's also not talking about, you know, things like a, a nuclear dis disaster, you know, affecting a third of the planet. Uh, which is one of the ways that certain modern interpreters would take it. Um, but that, again, misses uh, what it would have meant to them in their time and the way that this kind of language works. Um, so even though it's obviously a lot of destruction, I think we're meant to hear it more as um, it's only a third, right, to maybe get the attention of uh, the other two thirds and, and say there's still, there's still time, right? This, it, it could be more. All right, any, any questions about that before we move into uh, the fifth trumpet with the locust? Another fun image. All right, let's, we'll just keep moving. Like I said, we're going to try and get through a couple chapters, so we'll just keep moving. But if you have uh, questions or comments or rebuttals, uh, anytime is good. All right, so um, the next, next one is a little bit longer. So we're going to verse 13 of chapter 8 up to verse 12 of the next chapter. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew in mid-heaven. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given authority like the authority of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to damage the grass of the earth or any green growth or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torture them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torture was like the torture of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They'll long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses equipped for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. It scales like iron breastplates, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots, with horses rushing into battle. They have tails like scorpions with stingers, and in their tails is the power to harm people for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he's called Apollyon. The first woe is past. There's still two woes to come. Okay, so in, in these cycles of sevens, we've got three of them in Revelation, uh, the fifth to seventh is always an increase in intensity. That's kind of what you hear with that verse 13 saying, hey, things are about to get even more intense than they have been. Um, we saw back in chapter six that the, the martyrs had asked God to judge the inhabitants of the earth. 
And so it seems pretty clear that uh, inhabitants of the earth is a reference to uh, non-believers or to those you know, that are in the empire who are uh, causing the oppression, that are causing this, this martyrdom. And so this, in a sense, is fulfilling that request back from chapter six. They asked how long? Well, here you go. And what we saw from them, they actually said, you know, how long before you avenge us or give, get vengeance for our blood? And so that's what they wanted. And again, we have this question, is that all that God wants? Does God just want vengeance like they do? Um, this is this, this scene of this angel going into the pit. Um, and it's, it's, I think, one of those times where it's kind of unclear, is God directly sending it? Is it God allowing the, the angel to do this? Um, uh, he's, he's given the key, so I think it is, you know, again, more directly from God. Um, but it's, it's not, I don't think it's meant to be Satan. We're going to see uh, images for him a little bit later. Uh, those that are sealed, uh, that's the language we've seen of, about God's faithful. They're protected from this, whatever it is. Um, and so we have this, these locusts that come out, right? So that's, again, one of the ten plagues from Exodus chapter 10. Uh, also, you go to the prophet Joel chapter 1 and 2. He has this image of, of locusts coming and destroying a lot of things, and, and it's got some very similar language there. So again, John is, is picking up from that. And this is the idea, again, is that the judgment is limited, right? So it's only five months. They're, they're not allowed to kill um, which again, still sounds pretty terrible and intense, but uh, I think the emphasis is also on this is uh, some sort of, it's, it's limited in some way. Um, so this locust army, uh, there've been lots of interesting interpretations of, of what that could be. But again, if we start with their situation, I think it's pretty easy to see this as a, a, an allusion to Rome or other evil empires, uh, especially when he talks about Apollyon, uh, it's the name that this, this king over them is, is given in verse 11. Uh, it means destroyer in Greek. Uh, but also, uh, Apollyon is probably a reference to the Greek god Apollo, uh, the, the god of the sun. Um, and it's probably telling because the emperor Domitian, who is probably the emperor at the time this book was written, he identified himself with Apollo. That was kind of his uh, main god. And so we can see that it's probably in some ways showing the, the destruction that the Roman Empire causes, um, even as they're also the enemy, um, right? So I think what we might be seeing here is this idea that God can both use and judge um, evil forces or an evil empire, because that's, that's the same way that God the, and the prophets would talk about Babylon in the Old Testament, right? I'm going to use them for my purpose um, against Israel. But uh, they are also going to be judged, right? Just because I'm using this pagan army doesn't mean that I approve of, of them. And so that may be the way that uh, Rome is functioning here, if that's what these locusts are pointing to, that um, God can use them. It doesn't mean that God supports them and, and God is going to uh, bring judgment on them as well. Um, or even the idea that Rome is kind of destroying itself. That's something we'll see later on when it talks more directly about them. That that's what happens with empires is uh, it's usually not an outside force. It's internal uh, fighting that, that ultimately destroys it. All right. Uh, any questions about that? I would argue that they're not, the locusts are not helicopters, uh, which is one of the, again, 
modern interpretations that would have made no sense to John and the first century readers. Um, but again, if we're talking about them as um, evil empires in general, well, there still are uh, powerful forces and um, God can use them while also judging them. So that's one of the ways that I think these symbols can be uh, they're anchored in the first century in that audience, but they continue to have meaning uh, across history. All right. Any, anything else about that? All right. Let's get to the sixth trumpet, which is the last one we'll get to uh, for tonight, because again, uh, we get six and then we'll have to hold off on the seventh. So uh, 13 to 21. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels were released, who had been held ready for the hour, the day, the month, the year, to kill a third of humankind. The number of the troops of cavalry was, cavalry was 200 million. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. The riders wore breastplates, the color of fire, of sapphire and of sulfur. The heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of humankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. The power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. Their tails are like serpents having heads and with them they inflict harm. Right, a lot of weird imagery. But here I think is the, the key verses that I want us to focus on and, and think about for uh, all these chapters. The rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons or idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their fornication or their thefts. Okay, so again, uh, these, these evil angels, um, or the ones they're releasing, it's unclear the source, but God is the one on the throne, so ultimately God is in control. Um, it, it said they've been bound, and that's usually language that's used for, for evil. And again, uh, we have this description of one-third being uh, destroyed, which is just an apocalyptic symbol of incompleteness. Uh, the focus is on the survivors, and what is their response to this kind of massive destruction? And so that's where I think 20 and 21 are the key verses for these two chapters. Uh, what is the result of all these punishments from the trumpets? No repentance, right? They did not repent of uh, all the things that they were doing, their idolatry and everything that goes with it, which again, in some ways probably is also picking up on that Exodus theme, right? Pharaoh continued to harden his heart after everything that God did. And even when he did finally let them go, he changed his mind and chases them down at, at the Red Sea, right? Um, and there, you know, again, it's, it's complicated. What it, in some ways, it seems like God was trying to make an example of Pharaoh and show that he's more powerful. Uh, but here, we're not ever told that God is opposed to these inhabitants of the earth repenting. Um, and so, uh, as we think about this and these images, I mean, Again, we didn't look at all the specifics. I think we don't need to focus as much on, you know, how it describes the, the locusts or uh, these beings. It's more about how it sounds, right? It's, it's the effect of hearing all of it together. Um, but what is your overall reaction to hearing about all these things, about 
uh, God carrying out this sort of punishment. Um, how does that relate to the idea of, of the fear of the Lord that's common in Scripture? I don't think it makes a difference to a lot of people because, according to this, they may have already killed two-thirds and the other third really didn't care. <laughs> yeah, the, the two-thirds left. Like, all right, well, I guess we're next, right? Is it just kind of a, oh, well, you know, no sense in changing? That's, again, a way that people could respond. Well, what does it make you think about God? Well, Go ahead, if, you Gary. Move, if you move ahead, you know, knowing we know what's coming, but mm -hmm. it's kind of an example to me that this isn't going to work. And so God knows it's not going to work. And so then when we get the last trumpet, he actually comes down and the temple is measured. And then everybody says, oh, wow. God, the heaven and earth have come together. And that's what makes a difference is, is knowing God, not these signs, if you will. I mean, so, so it makes you think that, to me, it says, you know, God knows that this, kind of what you started with, it, it's not effective in every realm or every possibility, possibly. You know, it might be one of the things. It's not effective in getting repentance, right? Right. If, right. If all God wants to do is is punish a lot of people or cause a lot of destruction. I mean, it seems like it's fairly effective there, even if it is limited. Um, and you know, it, it it can seem scary, right? If you just took this, uh, there's a <laughs> as I was reading this, like, man, we don't really read stuff like this in worship, uh, and I think that's probably for a good reason. Um, there's, uh, but you know, the fear of the Lord is a concept that we see through Scripture. Uh, you know, so we know Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, where um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, it's at the beginning of the book, too. But I think to emphasize, I would emphasize there that it's the beginning of wisdom, because then you get into 1 John chapter 4, where he says, there's no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. All right, so this is a starting place, but it's not where we ultimately want to be because um, we, we haven't reached perfection in love if we're afraid, afraid of God. Um, and yet there is a, a need for uh, reverence and respect of God's awesome power. Um, again, I think about it going back to, you know, the, the parenting idea. Um, if you're still afraid of your parents when like you're an adult like me, or if they're still punishing you the same way that, that they did when you were uh, like George's age, something's not right there, right? Hopefully in our relationship with our parents, uh, there was some growth and maturity, and yet we still hopefully respected them. Um, and so as we think about that with God and what God might be trying to do here in this and in the broader scope of God's justice, uh, I think it's important to think about the difference between um, retributive justice and restorative justice. Uh, that's, that's language that um, you can see in a lot of places these days. Um, because we all agree justice is important, right? And that's, that's obviously a big idea in Revelation that something needs to be done, right? We're, we never want to say, well, this is just the way it is and that's just too bad, right? If God is good and God is on our side, um, God needs to do something about what's gone wrong in creation. But, but how, right? So again, as a parent, well, do we ever do anything that our children would describe as inflicting suffering on them? Well, yeah, that's what all discipline is. 
uh, or else you'd never punish them. And, and obviously their idea of what suffering is versus you know, what uh, we consider true suffering is probably doesn't line up. Um, but again, it's, it's why you do that, right? Why do, why do we discipline our kids? Um, but then also to look at it from a, the other perspective of uh, like in our, our justice system, um, does our cultural sense of justice focus more on helping offenders improve or just uh, getting even with them? Um, you know, uh, well, I don't know. What do you, what do you think as you think about our, our system today? What, what tends to be the focus more? Is it just you did something bad, so you need to be punished? Or is it trying to help them? We call it the Department of Corrections. Um, does that seem to happen a lot? What do you think? No, it doesn't seem to work. I mean, what was it last weekend? I think that the uh, convicted felon broke into a business and raped a woman and and he'd already been in jail because of what he'd done another time. And um, yeah, it, I mean, it's clear it doesn't work. The system we have doesn't work, but I think that's because it's based off these first six, right? It's based off the faulty idea of, of really what repentance, how repentance actually works or how one is actually called to repentance maybe would be a better way to say it. Yeah, and there's, I, I agree with you, Susan, that there's definitely, <laughs> there's not a lot we'd like to say there's some but there's probably not a lot of rehabilitation going on in a lot of these places uh, i think there's a there's a, the question though is also we're not necessarily doing it for them there's an aspect of we're doing it for others for example this fellow you mentioned that person probably needs to be kept away from other people uh and that can be a punishment i mean it certainly feels like and i i read somewhere that uh recently that prisoners a lot of prisoners that are being told they're going into solitary confinement would rather have the death chair or because they just it's it's so heinous to be separated from humanity it it, it blows your mind apparently uh we're, we're social creatures right we're, we're yeah exactly so it, it, there's this constant struggle yes we have there's this call and and god specifically calling us back and at the same time well, we need to protect others too. We, we can't just let people run willy nilly either. And God has to have, have the toughest time of that with anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, before when I was in my last uh, ministry, uh, we had a, the county jail in town. And so I went every week and you'd see people like, oh, hey, what happened? So, so oh, we got out and then come back a month later. Oh, hey, nice to see you again. Right. It's, <laughs> it's just this, this cycle. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot to it. Yeah, obviously, we don't have time to get into all these things, but, you know, it didn't seem like there was, sometimes it felt like they were set up to fail, right? Because they get out and they have all these fines and uh, then they can't find a job, right? So, yeah, uh, well, I feel they, like timeout chairs don't work that great either, right? <laughs> so, I, in some ways, I feel like it's not that different than, 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 than you know, the timeout chair. So, yeah, I feel like and, uh, I mean, as a that to something else but i know we're not talking about that but i just that yeah and again as a parent with young kids this is the challenge we're constantly trying to figure out what is going to be effective and actually getting them to to be formed into the people we want them to be um, right. and 
you know, I wonder if, uh, you know, here and like anywhere, if you don't have a relationship of trust and respect, which is, is also could be kind of one of the words of fear, not just trembling fear, because you can get really scared of something and still not repent or still not respect that person or something. And so this awe or respect is the beginning of knowledge, you know, of God. And, and if you just get beat up by somebody, you're just really mad, you know, you're just really hacked. And so if you I see God, why? you know, I mean, I've talked to prison, you know, people too, and they think the system is against them. And so they're just hacked. They don't, they're not, they're not thinking that it's for any good. It's just punishment. You know, and maybe these, these trumpets are kind of like that, you know, like, like these people well, no, they wouldn't repent because they don't know really the God behind it. Yeah, there's no calls to repentance in this, right? Like yeah. it's just it's just kind of happening, right? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's something to pay attention to as we go on further. What is being communicated to um, the inhabitants of the earth or the kings of the earth? Those are usually the terms that are used for uh, these empires and things. Yeah, um, that, sorry, I, I just, uh, John, that was something I was thinking about the other day. This goes back to the very beginning. I mean, like Cain, Right, God comes to Cain, and, and God is unhappy with Cain's sacrifice, and we're not entirely sure why. But Cain yeah, is true. really mad about it, and he takes yeah. it out on Abel. Yeah, uh, right. And, and God says, like, you can you can do the right thing here, and he doesn't want to. Right. Yeah. I, I I think we're all in that boat at some point. Like like Gary mentioned, there's just uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just I thought that was interesting. You go back to the very the very original sins, and and there it is. Just people. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't want to, they just don't want it. They're just angry about it. Yep. <laughs> just get mad. Um, and so again, what is God after in this? Um, we don't get a whole lot of it in these specific chapters, but we can look more broadly. And I think it was a verse that was mentioned last week uh, by someone, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise as something is slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Right? So if, if we're going to understand judgment and discipline and these sort of things, it has to be oriented towards that goal in some way. Um, that's what God ultimately wants. People can still make their choices, um, but at least from God's side, I think that's the perspective we need to have on, on these sort of things, that, that God is trying to get, get people's attention, right? Um, what, what, with George, some, we call it, we have to use our serious words um, sometimes, which he doesn't like. But it's like, well, you're not listening to when I ask nicely. And so we have to use serious words. And so uh, God is doing that in some way. And, and, you know, what does that look like right now? I don't know. But uh, there's probably things that are happening where God's trying to get our attention. Uh, he's not just mad and, and feels like smacking mm -hmm. us around. It's um, I want you to see there's a better way. All right. So but what we see, I think we see here and, and Gary kind of mentioned it earlier, is that punishment alone is insufficient to achieve these goals. God doesn't get the repentance that I would assume God is looking for. You know, you um, asked so earlier, Chris, that was um, what, what is their, um, you know, when they cry out to God, they say vengeance. And so they're thinking blow everybody away. And so in a sense, when you start seeing these things happen, you kind of clap. But God's purpose is never to blow people away, but to bring them back to repentance. You know, so they it's that different agenda, you know. And, these, and maybe it's want it. Oh, say hi, everybody. Hey, George. Hey. <laughs> All right. Good night, buddy.
Um, yeah, and so if God's like, maybe God's trying to show those of us who want God to, you know, go get them. They're like, well, maybe that's not what I should be doing for you either. And so that's where, you know, I don't think it was Jesus was mentioned through any of this. The slaughtered lamb doesn't really show up in these chapters, but that's where Revelation is always centered. Well, who is the faithful witness? It's the one who uh, offered himself and by his blood saves people. Uh, and so that's that's where we're ultimately looking. Um, this is not the end of the story, right? If, if Revelation ended here, this would be a very depressing book, but it doesn't, right? It, it, there's more, and we're seeing that through Jesus, um, judgment is, is maybe not even what we Christians would expect. It's it's something better, and it's oriented towards God's ultimate goal of, of repentance. Um, if that's what God wants, uh, I think God's going to do everything God can to make that happen. So, all right, um, that's that's all for these couple of chapters. That's uh, pretty quick to get through all of that. Like I said, with so much of this, it, 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 I think it's actually helpful to not get bogged down on, well, what does the scorpion's tail represent? And all this. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. We're looking at the big picture. And uh, uh, right. so, but if you have questions about anything else, uh, anything else before we close? All right. Well, uh, we'll continue here next week. Like we've, we've got a couple more weeks where we're going to be doing this on Wednesday nights, and then this will move back to Sunday mornings, and we'll actually get to be in person for those that are able to be there, and we'll still have it on Zoom for those that, that want to follow along there. Um, so uh, thanks for bearing with us, and thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for your comments, everyone.